Well, I'm thrilled because I have the opportunity to take, today to take us to this ancient prophecy. And I'm going to do that here in a minute, but uh, here in a couple minutes, you're going to understand uh, in my life why books became very important as a 20-year-old. Um, that was a long time ago. Uh, but I want to use this opportunity to make mention of maybe on your Christmas list, you're looking for some final gifts. And uh, one of the things that is really a special thing about our church family is we actually have six individuals who have written books from our church. And you may not know about that, but I want to let you know about them and uh, their books. And I'm going to begin with three have written fiction, and I would call them redemptive value fiction books. And then uh, three have written some nonfiction books. So I'm going to start with the, the fiction books. The first is uh, Josh Strakalski, uh, Josh right over here, uh, Toxinagon. Uh, is a book, uh, Follow the Steps, and then he has a sequel to that, Black Lions Walk with Pride. Uh, these two books are oriented to fifth graders and up, and uh, a young man in these books uh, breaks free from the shadow cast over him by Hob, but it's more than a game, it's a quest about life, it's a quest about hope in this, and uh, uh, those are two you might consider, and I'm going to leave all these up here on the platform afterwards if you want to come up and take a picture. Afterwards, you are welcome to do that. I'm going to make mention of a guy named Luke Helmer. Uh, that name sounds familiar. Uh, Luke goes by L.M. Helm, and he has two books. Uh, first one, Spirit Walker, uh, The Way of the Spirit. Uh, he published it this year, and while on a hunt for a notorious outlaw and stolen gold, a young man learns that he must kill his flesh to save his soul. Uh, by the way, I'm going to make mention both uh, Luke and Josh, kind of why I put them together is books written with a particular love for uh, teen boys to be readers and uh, really cool on that fit. Luke also has a short little book called The Little Horse. Uh, after witnessing the birth of Jesus, uh, this little horse dreams maybe someday he could be the one that carries the king on his back. And uh, it's just a sweet little book, and it's the kind of thing you can read to younger children, or if you're a little older and can read on your own, you can take that. A third fiction writer is Sonia Pointer. Sonia has a book called The Last Stored, uh, and after the death of her parents in the book, making it through the day is a struggle for Amber, and in the midst of her grief, well, you can take it from there. And uh, Sonia actually has five books right now in process and uh, is going to be, Lord willing, coming out with those in a while. Nonfiction books. I'll begin with Tim Drummond from our church, has written a book called Beyond Time and Money, A Journey into Stewardship. And this is not just a book about financial stewardship, which are great that they're there, but we've got lots of those. I love the fact that uh, Tim just writes about the internal, the eternal, and the external reality of stewardship in our lives. This is kind of whole life stewardship. A nice, simple, but biblically sound uh, a book on that. Then we have the Hovdas. The Hovdas, Doug and Maureen are in their 80s, and they are writing machines. Um, I've got just a couple of their books. They have a Yup series. It's Yup, that's God. Yup, that's Jesus. And Yup, that's the Holy Spirit. And uh, they have uh, those with it. Also, uh, Doug and Maureen were missionaries in Bolivia for a season, and uh, they had a book called Unexpected Blessings from God. And it's really kind of some of their journaling put into reading form about their experiences, missionaries, and particularly 
in Bolivia. And then the last one I'll mention is Christina Varvel just recently came out with this book and her story of living hope, giving birth to death, brought life. Ugh. Um, her story of uh, experiencing the loss of babies and uh, how God's done a work through that. I knew I would cry. Sorry, Christina. Um, but you may want to check those, and I'll leave those all out here um, for you to take a look at if you want. Books. Books became really important to me, particularly when I was in my 20s. Uh, I was not a reader. I was not a reader. Reading was punishment for me growing up. Um, reading was only done if you were, it was required reading. And uh, yet all of a sudden I came at 20 years old. And I began asking the question while I was at the University of Minnesota, I began asking the question that most 20-year-olds ask who have grown up in Christian families. And the question is, is, is this faith my faith? Or is this my parents' faith? And uh, I was serious enough about that question because it was running in my mind, what am I going to commit my life to? that I began doing research on that. That led to kind of a year and a half journey of me at school. That was before the internet. Oh, those are glorious days, friends. <laughs> you may think they were ancient. They were awesome. And this non-reader actually began diving into the whole subject of, so what is faith and what are the religions around the world? And I'll tell you, I wasn't interested in powder puff talk. I didn't want to just have the, the light-hearted spiritual conversations. I wanted some data, and I wanted some depth of conversation. Because if I was going to commit my life to something, I wanted it to be worth, worth it to do that. It was a year and a half of reading for me and research for me back in that day. And my conclusion, I came to the point to where biblical Christianity is unlike any other faith system on the planet. In fact, as an early 20-year-old, it was like, it was so different and so amazing, I'm willing to commit my life to it. My research um, led me to taking a look at Islam and uh, Mormonism and Confucianism and Jehovah's Witnesses and Buddhism and Sikhism and Taoism and just researching them. And for me, they kind of all came to a place of kind of having three broad problems to them. Um, most of them had one founder, one original founder, one lifetime, one person. Am I willing to commit my life to what one person began? The other is, is they all had a merit-based, works-based structure to them. It's personal, your advancement in achieving with that. And I don't know about you, but I struggled to achieve in a faithful, consistent way. The third thing about them was their authority sources had issues to me. The Quran, written by one guy, Muhammad, in 610 AD, by the way, not that old, 610 AD, uh, reading through it just straight up, God is not a God of grace. Jesus was just another prophet. He was not deity. And Jesus actually did not die on the cross according to the Quran. Someone else stepped in his place, had problems for me. Then the Book of Mormon, written by one guy, Joseph Smith, in the 1820s, 
who found golden ancient plates with reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics near his property in New York. That's interesting. But they had special glasses with them so that he could interpret it. And uh, out of that came the Book of Mormon. Wouldn't you think that if you found something that valuable and that significant, you would keep those plates and those glasses? Can't be found. According to Mormonism, um, Jesus had to earn the right to be the Savior. Jesus' atonement is not sufficient enough for our salvation. Jehovah's Witnesses, the brainchild of Charles Russell in the late 1800s, he came uh, eventually with a New World Translation of which the, of the Bible, which is the New Testament version, came out in 1950. Talking about recent. In 1950, um, it denies the Trinity, denies the deity of Christ, really basing out of John chapter 1 and the issue of the Word. And I'll just throw in here, I could go on and on, but uh, the whole idea of all religions lead to God. I'll just tell you, from what I just said, that whole thesis idea is an idea based upon unknowledge. Not understanding what other religions really are believing, and they cannot believe in the same God, because they all point to a different God. And then I'll just add atheism and agnosticism for me, I just couldn't believe the fact that there was no God. Just couldn't believe it. There has to be some, someone in all of this. Back in that day, the most influential book for me to read was Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Significant book for me. Josh McDowell, in his academics, and his upper academics, actually sought to do research to make claims uh, 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 showing that Christ's claims were not true, that Christ was actually not who he said that he was. McDowell, after doing his research, came. I love these stories. Came to Christ as a savior. And out of that wrote his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, so that other people can see the evidence that this is no joke. By the way, if I were today to add a book to that, I would add Seeking All of Finding Jesus, Nabil Qureshi, to that read. Just a, more of a narrative of his story. Nabil is now passed away and with the Lord, but being a Muslim and coming to understand the differences and coming to Christ, along with that for the ladies, uh, defying jihad, similar story of a younger woman and her story with that. But in my 20s, that became just my journey with that. And I had come to biblical Christianity where I come to learn about the Bible. The Bible written by some 40 authors, not one, and not in one lifetime, but some 40 human authors over a period of some 1,500 years of time. That's significant in the whole of it, and will here in just a minute show itself to be so. And we find a God of grace, which I need grace, because I cannot achieve the standard. Friends, if we're going to behold the glory of Christmas, we need to understand the story. And we need to have a sense of clarity and a sense of certainty about this. We are in a time and a day and age where I love the cartoons about so many things. I love Frosty, Rudolph, cool. 
But in it all, it kind of ends up becoming where the birth of Christ, well, is it for real? Or is it just a trumped up story? And I share my early 20s and my journey then with it because in that time, I wanted to move from having a faith to having a Hebrews 11.1 certainty faith founded on real stuff. Christmas is right around the corner. The most mind-blowing event in all of human history. And Lord willing, I'm going to show you why here in a little bit. So Lord, do a work, right? Hey, if you would, would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2. I actually want to enter into slightly past the birth of Christ. It's 40 days past the birth of Christ. Joseph and Mary are in the process of bringing Jesus to the temple. And Merry Christmas, by the way. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Do you know that that word is not in the Bible? It's two syllables. Christ and mess. In that, the word Christ, uh, the literal understanding of the word Christ is the anointed. The anointed. And I mean this seriously. If you're new to, to understanding uh, God and who Jesus is, uh, Jesus Christ, Christ was not his last name. Christ is a title. It's really saying Jesus, the anointed one. That's a big deal. Christ is the uh, outside of Jesus. It just means the anointed one. Mass, Christmas. Uh, uh, some talk about how it means to celebrate or gather, but really the, the Latin is misa. And it carries the sense of to send or the dismissal of. Here's what I love about this. Christmas really means the dismissal of the anointed one. I love that. Let, let me take that just a little bit more. Uh, Christmas is the dismissal of the anointed one from heaven to earth. Hey, so we can say it this way. Mary, dismissal of the anointed one from heaven to earth. Take that one to school. Take that one to work. And, and that's what we're really talking about here. And we are saying that Jesus is the anointed one from heaven to earth. How do we know he is? How do we know out of all the billions of people that have lived on the face of the earth in the past, in the present, or even in the future, how do we know that that one, that one guy named Jesus born in Bethlehem, how do we know that he's the one? That's a viable question to be asking. Because in the day and age of cartoons and the internet and all this other kind of stuff, we just begin to move our own head into the thing of thinking that, well, maybe it is a fable. Maybe it is just a story that's kind of been blown out of proportion. I don't want us to enter Christmas like that. I instead want us to enter Christmas like, well, like Simeon and Anna here in Luke 2. 
In Luke 2, starting in verse 25, Jesus, I'm sorry, uh, Jesus, 40 days old, uh, Joseph and Mary are bringing baby Jesus to the temple as that would be the normal process after having a child. And verse 25 says this, uh, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was what? Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. In other words, he was serious with the Lord. And he was waiting. I love that. This is a guy that's so with it that he's waiting for the consolation, the rescue of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's cool, verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's anointed one. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... He took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Remember, he had been told that before he dies, he will see the anointed one. By the way, that word in Greek, it carries the idea of, uh, Lord, now that I've seen the anointed one, I can untie the rope that tethers me to the dock and sail off. How cool is that? That's what he's declaring. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Verse 33, and his father Joseph and his mother Mary marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, Mary, and thoughts for many hearts will be revealed as a result of baby Jesus. Verse 36, and there was a prophetess whose name was what? Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Man, what a woman. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I love these two. These two very special, experienced individuals. And what are they doing? They're waiting. They're waiting for the Lord. And in it here, they're also declaring. And they're declaring that this 40-year-old baby, that this is the one. And they're doing it with a sense of confidence and a sense of excitement. And it's like, I want that confidence. And I want that excitement. And God had given them a certainty. Luke makes that very clear to us. Can we have that certainty? I believe yes. And I want to show you why. Last week, Pastor Chris talked to us about the promise that God promised that there would be one who would come, a redeemer, one who is the serpent crusher and the greater prophet and the everlasting king. And when someone makes a promise, the question that generally follows that is, oh no, I I promise to do that. So uh, uh, we're going to do that, kids. And the next question is, When? Right? Like, when is that going to happen? Like, give us some hope so I know when. That's the logical thinking out of a promise. Answer. What is the answer to the when, to the who? Answer the prophecy. Question. 
How many prophecies preceded your birth, your life? And I'm not talking about well wishes. I'm not talking about kind of those types of things that are like, well, you know, we have an intuition that you're going to have a boy or a girl. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about divinely written prophecies about your life and everybody, your answer should be, okay? Now, how many prophecies about the Messiah, about the anointed one that would be dismissed from heaven to earth are in the Old Testament? Answer, right around 324. That's a lot. You and I got zero. The Messiah's got 324. Took me a long week typing all these in. (laughs) Genesis to Malachi, listed in the order of kind of where they come in the book. The intention is not for you to be able to read them. The intention is just for you to be able to see them visually. I want to move here. We'll come back to this slide. I want to move here into a slide arranged by time of these prophecies. When these times, when these prophecies came in time. Because remember when I was talking back, one of the things for me is when you go back and you look at the authority sources of other religions, they're all sourced from one guy in one life at one period of time. And yet the Bible is sourced by 40 human authors over some 1,500 years. And the timing of the prophecies makes a big difference. There are 324 prophecies, the very closest ones in the time frame to which, to the time in which Jesus was born. The soonest ones were 550 years before Jesus was born. They go all the way back, as you can see on this, they go all the way back uh, to the uh, two millennia plus. Let me put that in context, because there's part of that where you go, okay, that's cool, but blah, blah. Let me put it in some context. Um, a grandpa always has to bring the grandchildren into it. So this year, our fifth grandchild, Belle, was born in July. Woo-ha! Go, Belle. Sweet little thing. Just taking a moment here. Belle was born this year, and uh, let's just say, there were, uh, well, there were no prophecies written about Bell, but let's just say there were 324 pro- prophecies that applied to Bell. I want to put this in a framework of time. Bell was born in July of 2021. If we were to go back some 550 years to some of the earliest prophecies about the Messiah, or in this illustration, about Bell, we are going back all the way to the time before Christopher Columbus ever set foot on this continent. If we were to go back some 700 plus years before the time uh, this year when Bell was born, we're going all the way back to the Ottoman Ottoman Empire, Turkey. Hey, if you read some history. (laughs) In a book would be good too. If you go back some thousand years before Bell was born this year, you're going all the way back to the days of Genghis Khan, Mongolian Empire. If you're going some two millennia back from when Bell was born this year, you're going back, oh my, to the time when Jesus was born. Think about this. Those times, by varying writers, we're talking 
Moses and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Micah and Malachi over that period of time writing a prophecy about uh, uh, Bel. We're going back all the way to the time of Christ. Hey, isn't it interesting how, how someone uh, makes mention of a prophecy happening next? I didn't mention it. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm blanking. We're second service. Uh, uh, are, did I mention this yet? About next year? Okay. Sorry, everybody. Multiple services gets in your head. We, we are coming to the end of the year. And when someone at the end of the year, you know, they always do this thing like, what are your 10 forecasts for 2022? And someone will guess three of them. And we're like, whoa, you are like a prophet. It's like, no, we're not talking that with Jesus. We're talking about prophecies that occurred hundreds and thousands of years before it ever came about. We're not talking about the year before, the five years before, the 10 years before. We're not talking about 100 years before. We're not talking about 200 years before. We're talking about some 550 to two plus millennia back by varying people at those times. See, the reason I'm so pumped up about this is because a lot of times people think that this whole thing of Jesus, that they got this whole deal of Jesus, and then they backtracked the prophecy and wrote the book. Wrong. These are things that historical fact, manuscript fact, were written thousands, hundreds of years prior to Christ, and they all come and point. Someone's got to fulfill all of them, not 99% of them, not 90% of them, 100% of them, for them to be the anointed ones sent from heaven to earth. And how do we know then that Jesus is the one? I'm glad you asked. Because prophecy given over the millennial demands math. And some of you have been here at this church for a while. Like, you know, I've been here for a while and I've heard this a couple times from you. And I'm like, yeah, every five years, I got to remind ourselves of this. Do the math. And I'm doing this because when I was 20 years old, it changed my life. So out of all this, this is very near and dear and personal to me. And this is where the work of Dr. Peter Stoner comes into the conversation. Dr. Stoner was born in 1888. He died in 1980. He was the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College until 1953. And then he became the chairman of the science division at Westmont College, and he finished out his life as professor emeritus at both universities. Why do I bring that up? Because he's smart. That's all that is. Smart dude. He knew his math. He wrote a book called Science Speaks. And in it, it includes a section on the probabilities of biblical prophecy being fulfilled. So he starts out. And let's go back to our slide from Genesis to Malachi. So he starts out and he says out of The prophecies, let's just pick eight of them. Just eight. Eight's not very many out of 324, but eight is eight more than you and me. Let's just go with eight. So he picks them. Like, I'm just out of this list. I'm just going to grab eight out of these, all right? Like Isaiah 40, verses three and four says that the Messiah will be preceded by a messenger, a forerunner. And that happens in John 1. 
Isaiah 7, 14, born of a virgin. Top that one. Luke 1, 35. Micah 5, 2, born in Bethlehem. Merry Christmas. Matthew 2. Zechariah 9, 9. He will enter as a king on a donkey. Psalm 41, 9. Betrayed by a friend. Luke 22. Zechariah 11, 12. Betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Matthew 26. Isaiah 53, 7, he will remain silent before his accusers. Have you ever wondered why Jesus remained silent before his accusers? That's why. To fulfill prophecy. Psalm 22, 16, talks about dogs encompass me. His hands and his feet are pierced. Yep, nailed to the cross. Let's just take those eight. So Dr. Stoner, bless his heart, with that name. So what are the odds of one person? <laughs> Sorry, I just went to a high school moment right there in my head. <laughs> so what are the odds of one person fulfilling eight? Answer, one in 10 to the 17th power. It's one with 17 zeros. I don't know what that number is, but it's more than a billion and it's a lot. It's a lot. Perspective on this, silver dollar. Take a silver dollar, take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, mark one of them out of all of them. Go to the state of Texas. The state of Texas, by the way, is seven times the size of Indiana. So state of Texas, and and you go and you take these and you take uh, silver dollars and you lay them edge to edge and you cover the entire ground of all of Texas. You do one layer and you go back and you do another layer And then you go back and you do another layer. And you keep doing those layers until it's two feet deep in silver dollar coins. One of them has a mark on it. Then you have someone fly you around the state of Texas. You're blindfolded. At any point in time, you can say, let me out. They push you out. You parachute down nice and safely because you know how to do that. And you land down, you're still blindfolded and anywhere. You can pick off the top, you can go to the bottom, you can go midway a foot up, six inches up, 18, whatever you want to do. And you pick, and the odds of grabbing that co- the coin that has the mark, that's the odds of 10 to the 17th power. Can you pretty much say impossible? That's eight prophecies. Eight. How many are there? So Dr. Stoner went to the next. He said, let's, let's, uh, let's up this ante. So he went to 48 prophecies. 48 prophecies. Calculated the odds out of that. And what are the odds of that? It's 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Silver dollars are too big. You got to go to electrons. In an atom, there are protons, neutrons, electrons. An electron is one thousandth the size of a proton, as I understand it. Weighs about 1,800 pounds less, or whatever the ratio is. It's 1,800 times lighter than the proton. We're talking small. If you were to take, um, what's the number? If you were to take 2.5 times 10 to the 15 electrons, put them side by side, all in a single roll, row, you would end up being an inch long. If you were to say, okay, that's not enough, let, let's triple that. So let's cube it. 
So now we got inch by inch by inch in the shape of like an ice cube. If you were to then count uh, the, I'm sorry, let me go back, count the inch line. If you were to count 250 per minute, night and day, 24-7, it would take you 19 million years to count that inch. If you were then to turn it into the cube and you were to move it to that number of them, and you were to count all of those in the same fashion, 250 per minute, 24-7, it would take you 19 million years times 19 million years times 19 million years. You see, but that's way too small because that's not 10 to the 157th power. 10 to the 157th power is basically right around the arena of the number of electrons in the known universe. Known universe. Mark one electron. Throw it out. Get someone that has a rocket. Get Bezos, someone that has a rocket. You know, your buddy. Um, have them fly you out. You're blindfolded at any point in time in the known universe. You can open the window, take a breath, open the window, reach out. But at any point in time, you can reach out, grab an electron, and you look at it, and the odds of it being the one that is marked is 10 to the 157th power. Hey, friends, that's impossible. Oh, but there are not 48 prophecies. There are six times 48 prophecies. God promised that he would do something, that he would send a redeemer, Genesis 3. And by the way, God didn't left us without information knowing who that would be. God, over human history, gave us, I'll call them the Hansel and Gretel crumb clues that take us to the one who it is. You see, in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to. In the New Testament, they experienced the one who came. We get to look back and see. We're in a special spot. And in that, as we look at this, it's not eight prophecies. It's not 48 prophecies. It's 324 prophecies. Doug, why the exercise? Because I'm concerned in myself and us living in a, a world that is becoming increasingly secularized, that what is beginning to infiltrate our minds is the wondering, is this just a fable? Is this just kind of a cartoon? Is this a moral tale? Is this a random event? Or is this the most amazing event in all of human history, bar none? By the way, I say that because without the birth of Christ, you don't have the death or the resurrection of Christ. And Pastor Chris talks about the promise. And the promise is the thing that, I'll say it this way, there is clarity with the promise of a redeemer. There is clarity 
with the promise of a redeemer. God said that he's going to provide something for our sin problem, Genesis chapter 3. And God said he's going to take care of that in the kind of a way of providing a redeemer who would come and make his work available to all who would receive. But how do we know who that is? We might have the clarity of the promise, but I want the certainty. That's where the prophecy comes in. Because there is certainty with the prophecy of the Redeemer. Do the math. Do the math. I remember as an early 20s guy, walking away with information like this and some of what I shared with you earlier. And coming to the conclusion, this is no fable. This is no joke. In fact, it's proved. Do the math. You can't argue with it. Biblical Christianity is unlike any faith system. And let me add, the one who was born went to the cross rose from the grave and by grace through faith anyone can be fully atoned through the work of the one that our God sent. Behold the glory. Merry Christmas. I mean, that's like Merry Christmas, bam, right? With certainty. As I look back in my 20s, I had heard the stories of Christ. I had received Christ as my Savior. I had led Bible studies with high school students, led with college students, shared Christ with individuals, discipled some individuals. I don't mean that as a pat on my back. I'm just like, I was serious about it. I was even had vocational ministry somewhere in the back of my head. But in it all, I had this lingering sense of I needed some clarity and I yearned for certainty. And I walked away from that period of time going, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. This is unlike anything. And just do the math. Merry Christmas is not a fable. This is living fact. With certainty. Do you know Christ like that? If you don't, get with someone. We'd love to sit down and work this through more with you. I love questions. I love people who ponder and wonder because that's where I used to be. And when you're willing to dig in and be real, because all religions do not lead to the same God friend. That's a non-intellectual argument. But instead, 
the anointed one from heaven was born with certainty. Next Sunday, the announcement. The announcement. By the way, how exciting. Can you just imagine the heavenly host going, oh, it's about time, man. Is this it? Then Christmas Eve Eve and Christmas Eve services, um, I'm blessed with being able to take us to the arrival. The promised one, the prophesied one, boots on the ground. Can't wait. Sunday the 26th, our online service, the rain. You see, the promised one is the prophesied one who is the announced one, who is the birthed one, who is the reigning one. Know this. We do not worship baby Jesus today. We worship the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. See, that was the beginning of the work. And so we don't worship the birth. We see in the birth what is coming out now because we get to look back and the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ reigns over and that's a coming. Christmas is more than a tale. And Lord, we thank you. Oh my, we thank you. I just pray today that we would walk out of here with a remembering increased sense of your grandeur. That we would behold the glory of you. What you have done, what you have said, how you have worked. And here we come upon Christmas. The birth of the anointed one dismissed from heaven to earth. Lord, thank you. Oh my, thank you. I pray that our hearts, that our minds, that our lives this Christmas would have a depth of beholding your work and your glory. And it is in the wonderful name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said...